0: If you or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide or experiencing a mental health or substance use crisis, 988 provides 24-7 compassionate support and connection to trained counselors. When you call, text, or chat 988, you'll be quickly connected to trained counselors who will listen to your concerns, provide support, and connect you to additional resources if needed. There is hope. The lifeline works. You are not alone. For 24-7 support, just call, text, or chat 988. Whether you're buying a new car, a used car, or refinancing your current car, FedChoice Federal Credit Union could help save you money. FedChoice makes buying a car so easy that you can do everything right from your smartphone or on a computer. Become a member today and you can take advantage of their great rates and financing options. Find out more at FedChoice.org. That's FedChoice.org. Membership open to federal employees, including contractors and their families. Fed Choice Federal Credit Union, insured by NCUA. From the studios of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C., you are on the Hill. Tom Fitzgerald here with you, and we thank you for joining us once again. Bo Schuff is the executive director of D.C. Vote. It is the leading organization which has been advocating for Washington, D.C. to be admitted to the United States as the 51st state. It was the subject of a very high-profile hearing on Capitol Hill this past week. Bo, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate so, it. So I want to start by laying out, because you know, typically when we do these stories here in Washington, we're talking to an audience of people who are familiar That's right. with the history of this issue. Uh, obviously for the podcast, I uh, want to lay out the land a, a sure. little bit more. Um what is the national impression, do you think, of the issue of whether or not Washington, D.C. should be a state? Do most people even realize that Washington, D.C. has no voting representation? In the?
1: Congress? Yeah, I think the national uh, opinion on the subject is, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. Um, the, the vast majority of folks that we talk to, eh, not the vast majority, I would say it's about 40 percent of the population, just has absolutely no idea. Um, now,
0: is it out of, you know, I'm sorry, what out of... An assumption that D.C. already did have some representation or of a viewpoint of why should it
1: oh it's a complete mix yeah. we've got folks that uh, assume that we have senators and representatives we have folks that uh, think that we vote in Maryland or Virginia depending on which side of D.C. we live on we have folks that think that we go home uh, to vote because they don't think anybody actually lives here full-time or that there are 700,000 residents in the district um, so it's a wide mix they just don't no, they just have no concept of, of what it means to live in the district. They think it's part of another state. This
0: is an issue uh, which has recently. It's never gone away. That's right. But recently um, has had more energy, more dollars put behind it than previously. And it did get a hearing in the House of Representatives this week. Why now and,
1: and what is the idea behind this push at this moment? Sure. So um, that's a great question, and, and it, it comes up quite a bit. Uh, energy around issues tends to go in cycles. And so we saw a cycle uh, a number of years ago in 92, 93 uh, with trying to create a vote for our delegate in exchange for a new uh, new representative being created. So instead of 435, we'd have 436. Mm-hmm. At that time, it would have gone to Utah, but that would have changed at the next census. So whatever. It's known as sort of the Utah deal. Mm-hmm. Um, that effort didn't didn't pass, and so at that point the community really sort of it, it hurt. It, it it was a it was a it was a bit of a blow, and so the community looked at what do we do next, uh, and how do we how do we move forward, continue to move forward on on voting rights and equality, and moved more into a judicial strategy. We went after a ballot initiative for budget autonomy. Uh, we went after lawsuits that would help us get a legislative autonomy, sort of pieces and parts of. Uh, Of what I call pieces and parts of statehood. Um, Then in 2016, there was this conventional wisdom that uh, we were going to have a new democratic president and we were going to maybe have a new democratic house and a new democratic senate and it was going to be the most opportune moment to push statehood again because we thought that the, based on the party platforms that that would give us the best chance. Um, clearly, that did not go how we thought it was going to go in 2016. But we got ready at that point. We put it on the ballot. Uh, there was a ballot initiative on the, on the November 2016 ballot. 86% of D.C. residents voted in favor of it. Not only that, it was the largest turnout in D.C. history. More people voted in that uh, election than have ever voted in, in the history of D.C., including 08's Obama election, 12's Obama election, any of them. Huge. Proposition 71. All of them. Yeah. yeah more people voted in all of them. Yeah. Um, and then that night didn't go as we thought for the rest of the country. Our issue was great. We were celebrating for like two minutes and then realized what all was happening. Um And that really, really made us take stock of what do we need to do move forward. And we established sort of three parameters. We needed to build power in that we needed to align with organizations across the country that should support uh, democratic reforms, small d democratic reforms, that should support voting rights, should support equality. So we needed to build power among those organizations. We needed to build support within the House and the Senate. We needed to have conversations and educate uh, uh, senators and members of Congress about why this issue matters. Remember, we had a hiring 25 years ago. It did go to the House floor, and we lost, even with Democrats controlling the Congress at that time. So this isn't a partisan issue. This is an education issue. And then the third piece was exactly what you started to talk about. We needed to build awareness. We needed to get across the country and start talking to the American public and, and showing them what matters.
0: So there was a Gallup poll over the summer, which you're well aware of, that showed about I think it was 64% of people across the country um, was it? A, not a was it opposed to? Yep. They're opposed not, to that favor. St- yeah, not in favor of it. 29% were uh, DC delegate Eleanor Holmes Norton kind of Uh, did not take the typical politician view of a poll that didn't go her way. She said, and she was in your seat talking about this not too long ago, that when she looked at that poll, she said, we shouldn't shy away from this. We should grab this by the horns and look at this as a rallying cry that we got a lot of work to do in the the country. Um, Some of that work uh, is now underway in the form of television commercials. Yeah, uh, television there's, there's commercials, some commercials that people yep. in Washington D.C. might not necessarily see as much as people out in that's the right. country. That's right. May see. So, what's the thinking of there? Is that is that the answer to what the delegate said was the the math problem? Yeah, that lie lie ahead of this issue.
1: I mean, looking at the Gallup poll, the Gallup poll went polar. Right, you had to do one or the other. There yeah. was no middle ground on that poll, and that's problematic because it doesn't sort of give us the idea of of what she's talking about with education, which we know is a thing. There are two other polls that came out over the last about nine months, but worded slightly differently, talked about some messaging. That, mm-hmm. that is what led us to that conclusion when the Gallup poll came out, as we learned that when people hear about the issue, when especially when they hear about taxation without representation, uh, they move our direction. We heard that a third to a 40 percent, like I mentioned, just didn't know anything at all. So when you present a poll or choice, one or the other, and you don't know anything about it, you say no. It's your human human default I have no idea what you're asking me for so no right any parent knows this for sure when their four-year-old comes up and goes I want this and you have no clue what that is Mm -hmm. so that's our, our human nature and that's why we got such a polar result in the in the Gallup poll but that education, the TV commercials, the canvassing that D.C. vote's been doing across the country in different states, the appearances at different uh, 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 conferences where we know constituencies will be gathered, that's exactly the work that and, needs to be done. And as
0: somebody who has followed this, I've seen that there is a, a new wrinkle to this, which is not new, but it does seem to be a, a, a main speaking point on this issue from the district standpoint, the people who are in favor of this, and that is highlighting the issue of veterans that's in, right in the district uh, i think 30, it's an important 000. point yeah it is almost a head scratcher though as to why this was not talked about loudly yeah. and more often before now yeah
1: i mean when we were in uh in 92 93 when we were dealing with the, the vote deal with utah the veterans were definitely forefront yeah. um when you're talking about the budgetary law autonomy and the legislative autonomy the veteran ties a little bit harder which is why it sort of didn't didn't make it to the forefront, but um, when you're talking yeah. about voting rights, when you're talking about the right to, to participate fully in your democracy, and you're denying people who were sent overseas and put in harm's way, I mean, absolutely, it's not only a strong talking point, it's truth, right? To go like,
0: over to another part of the world, right? you know, in combat That's to right. fight for somebody else's rights That's right. and then return home to a place uh, like where
1: you not full even if you're talking about those you know when when military folks are overseas they have the right to vote in their home location yeah. so they stationed in baghdad a soldier from maryland has the right to vote in congress and vote in the senate mm-hmm. stationed in baghdad a soldier from the district does not like it is it is even that unfair in the moment much less returning to dc as a veteran and we
0: should point out that one of the of secrecies of all of this is that people in Washington, D.C. can vote for the President of the United States. We can,
1: yeah. The 23rd Amendment did did work on that.
0: So there seems to be this gap here where there is. you're we've allowed got a, to vote for the got highest got a, office in the We've got, land, got a big old donut hole, basically. But you can't vote for a congressman. You can't vote for a senator. Uh, I want to talk about maybe some of the differences within the support. Okay. Because there are a group of people who absolutely support voting rights for people who live in the District of Columbia, right. but are not there on statehood. And yep. then there are people who are there for statehood and say, no, absolutely not. We will not accept anything besides statehood. Right. That is how we... Uh, break that down for me, can, and how yeah, dissimilar are the two arguments?
1: So I come out of the, the marriage movement the fight for LGBT equality. And w- one of the other things we did in 2017 after we took stock of the fact that we won but lost on election night in 2016 was uh, actually at the urging of Chairman Mendelssohn, uh, the, the council chairman of DC, uh, he said there's no plan. What's the plan? Uh, I, you're kind of right, we need one. So uh, we, DC vote, meeting with the statehood coalition, meeting with elected officials, all the stakeholders developed a strategic plan. And as we were having those meetings, the parallels between statehood and marriage became really quite obvious. One of the things we learned on the marriage fight was when we were talking about, again, the pieces and parts of marriage, mm-hmm. whether that's civil unions, domestic partner registries, benefits for health insurance. We used to talk about the 1,100 rights and responsibilities that are in federal and state code as it relates to the word of marriage. Mm-hmm yeah right super boring and nobody got it nobody who's married got it nobody who's unmarried got it because it's not something they really that's not why they got married they didn't get married for 1100 rights right they got married for one love when we looked at statehood it was very similar when we were talking about legislative autonomy it's super important that the congress is no longer able to overturn local laws and local spending when we were talking about budget autonomy same thing super important that we have control over our own dollars Mm -hmm. but the people out Outside of D.C. don't really get that if mm-hmm. I drop into Dubuque and try to explain it to a voter in Iowa. It's going to take me a good 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. I don't have that time with that many voters. So when we looked at it, we recognized two things statehood is a concept that everyone understands, because if you don't live here, you live in a state mm-hmm. and statehood at the end of the day is the only full and equal justification because of the way our constitution is structured. So not only did we have a very nice thing that people could identify with, I, I, I live in a state, I don't really totally know what that means, but I'm a proud of that state. Um, and it's also the only legal solution that, that provides full and equal uh, representation to D.C.
0: Is the word
1: statehood,
0: just the word statehood, is that one of the hangups? With people because they look at Washington D.C. It's really not, and it's a city. Yeah, uh, the, you know they you you think your your concept of a state is, you know whether it's a small state like Rhode Island or whether it's a right. big state like Texas that it's a you know uh, a a geographic region of of the country is is that one of the hang-ups out there in the country over this if if you were to you know one of the names that's been promote, proposed for the 21st state was douglas washington douglas, douglas Commonwealth that's right if you tried to sell this as a commonwealth status would, would would that be an easier haul
1: with people do you think you know i don't think so and it's 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 a it's maybe a small hang up, but it's the same hang up that every state heard when they were coming into the union. Alaska and Hawaii are too far away. Mm -hmm. They're not connected to the country. Texas is too big. Texas is actually technically its own country. We can't possibly bring in another country as a state. Right. Mm -hmm. I I think the folks sitting in Rhode Island or in Vermont were like, Nevada doesn't look like a state. It's ginormous. Mm -hmm um so dc is larger in population than 49 of the 50 states were when they it was were admitted. also brought up
0: at the hearing the other day that west virginia was carved out of virginia. west
1: virginia was just peeled right out of virginia um but with the exception of oklahoma we have way more people than any of the states had when they brought in were brought in and there's no definition anywhere about what size a state should be so extracting the idea of what a state is is part of your
0: job here right to, to make people understand this is about seven hundred two thousand people that's not right. just your traditional, right. you know, placemat that you had right. as a kid where you looked out over, you know, 50 contiguous. Yeah, dates.
1: I do feel the worst for fourth graders that are going to have to draw the district at some <laughs> point <laughs> um, because the boundary is so well, nuanced I, I it's can tell you a,
0: from growing up for New Jersey not the, any better the, the, the New Jersey uh, the, the New Jersey outline was always horrible yep I it grew up like in, two triangles smooshed together and not I, very good I
1: grew up in Southern California and it was three straight lines and then you just sort of curved the coast and there hoped it was good but
0: let's talk about the hearing so the House Oversight Committee um, Thursday here in Washington um, holds this hearing on HR mm-hmm. 51 it's named HR 51 not just, bill number. That, that, not just because it's the bill number because washington would dc would be
1: the 51st state
0: and in this hearing whoever uh, figured
1: that out was really really smart
0: <laughs> you could credit delegate norton for that one i think um there was a panel which consisted of the mayor of washington dc muriel bowser uh the chair of the dc council phil mendelson and um two constitutional scholars one who uh, was open to the idea of DC statehood, one who was decidedly not. Um, but also on the panel were, even though Democrats control the Congress, uh, the House of Representatives right now, were some Republicans like Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan, who right out of the gate had some yeah, really strong things to say. He did not slow down this. into that one at all. Um, he talked about the embattled veteran DC councilman Jack Evans uh, who over the close to a year now has faced some very serious, uh, ethical accusations and multiple investigations. Uh, there was also talk about, um, questions regarding, uh, crime in the district of Columbia. There were questions about the transit system here. There were even questions about parking.
1: No, the parking was
0: here. one of my favorites. Um, so, you know, I spoke to the mayor after it was over and, and I had asked her if, uh, is she felt um, what was her reaction to the to the opposition that was, was brought forward? And she did mention the you know, that the parking rights of, you know, a couple of members of Congress seemed to outweigh yep. the needs of seven hundred and two thousand people. But what did you make of, of, of the level of the arguments against this? Because occasionally it did get into some very complicated things about enumerated powers, yep. an article mm-hmm. one or Which did make it seem like there there are some things to sort out about this on both sides. It's it's not as cut and dry as it seems, but did did you feel that the uh, questions about this that were raised were up to the level of what you were expecting?
1: I think there were there were sort of two levels. It it, kind of like our representation, right? There was the full on intellectual conversation at the constitutional level, and then there was like the really petty. Petty stuff that's just distraction. Um, it, it, the constitutional scholars that you mentioned that were on the panel. It's important to note that that the one who uh, said that it is constitutional said that it, that the Congress does has the, have the power is from the Congressional Research Service, which is Congress's Library of Congress's body that researches issues, uh, nonpartisan. At all non-ideological. It's and their the job. Other one, and the other one, Roger Pilon, and the other one is, is, is a libertarian paid consultant from a conservative think tank. So uh, well, different. They they'd call themselves
0: libertarians. Well, they would yeah. call
1: themselves that, but I don't. I don't know that I would agree. But anyway, um, I think that's really important to understand because uh, we've seen now that, and this is the second time that Congressional Research Service has said this, that it is a constitutionally allowed provision for the Congress to enact this. Um, I thought that discussion was really interesting, and I think that that discussion continues to, needs to continue to happen. That uh, that uh, ask the constitutional questions, ask the challenging ones about uh, about the law, and how do you detangle things? We've got, you know, as a historic preservation board, we have uh, our court system that is hugely impacted. We have all kinds of really serious things we need to talk mm-hmm. about. If 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 Congressman Massey from Kentucky is would is worried about parking, then cool, let's build a parking ramp and become a state. Because it's just ridiculous to me. A, I highly doubt that he worries about his employees' parking scenarios on a consistent basis anyway. Uh, but B, that that's his hang-up, is whether or not we can park and whether or not a specific building is carved within or without the, 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 the enclave versus the state.
0: In fact, uh, there was another uh, constitutional scholar at that hearing the other day, and he was mm-hmm. on... He was on the panel. That's the right. Panel. That would be a Maryland congressman, uh, Jamie Raskin, a Democrat out of Maryland, who is a uh, constitutional law professor. That's right. And, you know, Raskin was the one who kind of talked about um, some of the some of the uh, history of, of the district. Um, and, you know, part of that history was that at one time the congressman had said that people who lived in Washington, D.C. were for a certain amount of time allowed to continue to vote mm-hmm. in Maryland. For uh, people who had previously voted in elections prior to the creation of Washington, D.C. from, you know, what was part of Maryland and at one time was also part of Arlington, Virginia, which. Right. Arlington and Alexandria. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Arlington and Alexandria, which was ceded back to Virginia in the uh, early uh, 1800s. Um, That leads me to uh, a word which is a mouthful. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is also uh, an important part of debate when you talk about D.C. statehood, and that word is retrocession. That's right. Uh, Retrocession is this idea uh, that since Washington, D.C. was was literally carved out of land from the state of Maryland and at one point from the Commonwealth of Virginia, that uh, D.C. could somehow retrocede back into Maryland, either uh, for... Congressional election purposes, or in totality, and you know there's this one uh, group that is uh, that is saying that you know that we become a county of uh, uh, of
1: Maryland. Um, you, I'm guessing you don't like retrocession. Too much. <laughs> it's important to understand that the concept of retrocession asks the residents of Maryland to diminish their own representation. That's really important, and I think it's a piece not talked about. Uh, especially by the folks who, who are pushing for the county solution, is that you are asking the population of Maryland to change their own representation. Now, of course, Americans' representation will slightly change when we admit uh, a vote for our congressperson and we admit two senators that we're entitled to. But you're talking about a change that impacts the entirety of the country mm-hmm. versus an impact that, a uh, change that impacts simply one state um, for no discernible reason. We don't need to do it this way. We don't need to harm the residents of Maryland in order to gain equality for the residents of the district. We have systems in place, and we have a methodology. We've done it 37 other times. We've brought in other unrepresented populations to make sure that they achieve uh, equal e- equality. Um, so it, it is a harm without a cause, uh, and, and it's a it's a question that just doesn't need to... It, it's not the solution. It's not the way that we move forward.
0: It is another example, though, of though people who... Tend to share the feeling that people in Washington D.C. deserve representation. They right, just have a different right. way of
1: trying to come up. It's with a absolutely a different solution. Yeah. Um, it just one that I think the solution does more harm, significantly more harm. Then good. And it's why you've seen every single member of the Maryland delegation to Congress sign on to D.C. statehood. It's why you've seen organizations like One Maryland that are, you know, deal with Maryland issues, sign on to D.C. statehood. One
0: of those people who signed on was at the hearing the other day was the House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer. It was a, not a, a member of the. Yeah. To this uh, to this effort.
1: And not a member of the panel made a special, special appearance to to join or not a member of the committee, not a normal member of the committee.
0: Somebody who else was on the committee was uh, Virginia Congressman uh, Jerry Connolly, who, who gave an incredibly impassioned uh, defense of D.C. statehood in his remarks, and at one point uh, made the assertion that when opponents of D.C. statehood say that it is not about race and partisanship, Connolly said, you can bet it's about race and, and partisanship, and um, Is that an argument that we can expect to see more of as this progresses, that this is a not just a political issue, but that this is a a racial, a civil rights issue?
1: It's absolutely 100 percent a civil rights issue. And it goes back 218 years to when D.C. had representation. Uh, The folks that could vote here at the time were only landowning white men. Uh, and we have expanded that representation over the country, over the course of history, to include more and more and more and more. This is the next level of more. Um, we refer to D- the D.C.'s lack of statehood as the original form of voter suppression uh, because it is. We, it was the first time we saw a government entity take away representation or whittle down power of a, of a sp- select populace. Right now, we sit in a a moment in time where the Congress is the one that decides D.C. local laws. We have the equivalent of a five hundred and thirty eight person district council. Uh, But I only get to vote for 13 of them or participate in 13 of them. I don't even get to vote for all of them because I don't get to pick other wards. Four hundred and thirty five of those five hundred and thirty five of those are not chosen by us. That body is drastically majority white. And the district is still a minority community. We are still a majority minority population. It is the definition (laughs) of a racist construct when an entirely or a a majority white body gets to make the decisions over a majority minority party or body with without any say. so it's absolutely a civil rights issue. It especially becomes a civil rights issue when you see how the decisions that Congress have made over time have impacted different communities, whether that's the impact of the significantly higher impact on uh, African-American communities that our, our marijuana laws lead to or incarceration laws lead to, whether that is the impact on the LGBTQ community when we were dealing with the needle exchanges over and over and over again, their decisions, whether it's women's community as we're dealing with choice.
0: These are all concerns... In, in large part from the inside out, from D.C. looking at the right. situation. From the outside in, though, th- there were some things that were brought up uh, by the opponents in the hearing um, that did make you kind of lean forward a little bit and, and wonder about. And One of those was you know, the relationship between a state and the nation's capital, the yep. idea that one state uh, should not control... Uh, the the nation's capital uh, one of the things that would occur if uh, DC statehood were to be achieved from what we understand is a uh, I guess the way to describe it as a federal campus uh, a, a border around yeah. what we traditionally view as you know the National Mall the museums the White House the Capitol the Supreme Court That area, Um, although you know in D.C. it's a little bit hard. There's a lot of federal buildings spread out all over the place. But speak to speak to that for a moment. Is that a legitimate concern that if if Washington D.C. were to become a state, that then now all of the other states would somehow be beholden to D.C. because it now houses the national capital.
1: no, I don't think so, for a couple of reasons. One, um, the the Constitution requires a federal district. It defines the largest that that federal district can be, but it doesn't define how small it can be. And so really all we're talking about is, is reducing the size of the federal district to what is actually the nation's capital. We all agree that there should be a nation's capital that is an independent piece of territory, that is still governed by Congress, that is still maintained for all of the American people, Uh, But it should represent what is actually the capital and not the residential commercial and educational territory. That is the this the district uh, that is Washington. That is the District of Columbia. Mm -hmm. Right. We have two pieces in conflict presently. We have this notion that we need a independent. Uh, 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 capital territory controlled by Congress to preserve the capital for all Americans. We agree with that. We also have seven hundred thousand people who have no representation, and most people agree with that.
0: So it's it's about getting to define the, the duality of what Washington really is. That's right. It's it is a, a you know a, a living breathing city with seven hundred two thousand people. That's right. But it also happens to be where
1: the president,
0: the Congress, and the U.S. Supreme Court. That's right. Their business,
1: and so that section would remain. Um, the The idea that it would suddenly be under the control of the new state is also just not accurate. Because right now, the District of Columbia borders two states. Nobody makes a claim that Maryland or Virginia have significant impact over the federal government. More significant impact over the federal government than anybody else. The new borders would simply be Washington D.C. and Virginia having borders with with the federal district. So, and the other big piece that people don't always remember is that Washington, D.C., the 51st state does not have tanks. If there was ever going to actually be a conflict between the needs of the district and the needs of the federal government, the resources and strength of the federal government so massively outweigh any resources or, or needs of of the district, uh, the new state, uh, that that conflict would end very very but rapidly. We do have. We're going to see it in the. We're going to see it in the morning. Supposedly, you know, we've we're, we've. Yeah. There's always there's very much concern about uh, Washington D.C. Uh, suddenly having control over Congress. Yet tomorrow morning, we're expecting climate protests that'll shut down the Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. So what we're actually seeing is inaction in Congress having control over the local economy of Washington, D.C. That's a whole other podcast, but the <laughs> idea of
0: idling cars somehow making a point about global warming is a head-scratcher t- to me in a bit, but that's that's
1: yeah. for another podcast.
0: Um, let's talk about where we are with this. So uh, the House holds this hearing, Yep, goes on for three hours. Um, when can we expect a vote on this out of committee? Sure. Uh, when can we possibly see this go for a, a vote before the
1: House? Sure. Uh, the next step, like you said, is the markup or vote in the committee where it could get amended or whatever. Um,
0: And it'll probably pass because of the number of Democrats that control the committee.
1: Uh, And all of the Democrats on the committee are co-sponsors with the exception of one. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we do expect it to come out of committee. Um, We expect that later this fall. Uh, Tomorrow is the first day of fall, finally. (laughs) Uh, Maybe it's going to cool off at some point. It won't feel like it, but Um, maybe, yeah. Uh, We're going to expect that later this fall. And then the floor vote is a little bit more up in the air because of everything that might be going on on the floor calendar. It is, we have assurances from leadership that it'll happen this Congress. Uh, We just secured our 221st total sponsors. But more importantly, 218 of those can actually vote because we've got three non-voting delegates as co-sponsors. So we have the votes as co-sponsors to pass it as soon as it hits the floor.
0: But there is where... I pose the question, does this run into a brick wall in the United States Senate? Because right now you have, you told me, 33? 34. Co- 34 yep. co-sponsors in the Senate. Uh, but more importantly, you have the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who has described the Grim DC, Reaper. Grim Reaper. He's he's proud to say it. Yep. Um, he's referred to D.C. statehood as socialism. Um, that doesn't sound like Mitch McConnell is ready to bring anything resembling D.C. statehood to the floor. So where does this leave us if it gets through the House and gets put on Mitch McConnell's desk and sits there?
1: You know, I think that Mitch McConnell referring to himself as the Grim Reaper and then not being not going to move a D.C. statehood bill is just absolutely in line with everything else he's done. I don't know of significant legislation that he's brought up. Um, but we don't stop working just because... Uh, and we don't stop educating just because we, we we don't think it's going to pass the Senate this term. This is a I, I would go back to the plan that we put together for Chairman Mendelssohn, This is a longer term effort than that. And what we have to continue to do is uh, create educational opportunities. And so moving through, through the House is absolutely an educational opportunity. And one of the biggest constituencies it's a opportunity with is the Senators. So would you view
0: getting it through committee and getting it approved on the floor of the house
1: a major victory for this huge true huge it is the first time in history that statehood will pass the house of representatives but do the supporters of this in the district understand absolutely that you're probably
0: not gonna land absolutely. the whole thing here yeah
1: the the mentality and then and the, and the knowledge among dc residents is we got to get it through the house and get to work mm-hmm. that's it like it's it is not this notion mm-hmm. of we can pass it through everything, right? It is. We got to get through the house and get to work. We got to get it through the house and get to work because we know that there's another huge wave of work coming.
0: Um, and this certainly puts the horse before the uh, after the cart. But what do we know about what the president of the United States thinks
1: about this? You know, we don't totally. At one point, uh, the president said uh, he, that he really likes DC people and they should get what they ask for. Uh, we don't know if he sort of totally knew the context um hasn't said anything since uh, hasn't sort of engaged on the issue at all um so we don't totally know where he's the stands. reason i ask
0: is because i had another guy one time who was a senator from illinois who was running for president who told me over at eastern market one day that he was in favor of dc statehood, and it never came to be during two terms of his presidency
1: yep uh the you know the district didn't ask during the two terms of, of that presidency
0: reason I bring this up is because if you are facing opposition from a Senate majority now when I asked the delegate the other day you were there yeah she said don't worry about Mitch McConnell they were going to vote him out of office which I, I, I don't know that she has the ability to say that at this point however. Has there been any effort to lobby the president directly on this?
1: You know, there there hasn't been a direct effort. Actually, I don't know that for sure. I know that the mayor has had a couple of meetings with the president. I believe the subject came up when she had conversation with them. There has not been um, a grassroots-based uh, lobbying effort uh, aimed at the mm-hmm. president. Um, we just need to go through the steps. I'm a little bit surprised to hear that because if you if you're looking at a situation
0: where you think you might be able to get through, through the house. And your big stumbling block, maybe a Senate majority leader who refers to himself as the Grim Reaper, maybe a support of the President of the United States might have some sway. It could. Over on, the, on the other hand, Republican one, leader of the Senate.
1: One of the things that we learned and the lesson that we drew on from 93 when they came to the floor the last time is unlike in the House, the Senate isn't ready to go on what should be the more supportive party. Mm -hmm. right where you we mentioned we only Mm -hmm. have 34 uh, Senate supporters Um, so it is a little cart before the horse we've got to get the rest of the Senate locked down um, uh, especially the the Democrats in the Senate
0: what's the situation the hold up there with the Democrats in the pretty
1: common to the general public a lot of a couple of them don't know we've got a couple of brand new members that we haven't uh, really sort of dug in with them Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, again the lack of knowledge in the states uh, and, in, and out in the public leads to uh, their, the leadership not sort of prioritizing it in, as an issue. We've also heard significant number of times from Senate offices that well, it's not really going anywhere anyway because the House hasn't even voted on it. Uh, so we see the House vote also as an opportunity to open doors to those conversations. Senate, Senate says that a lot about a lot. Of they do though. all the time, and, but now we and can. And they're right to say it, yeah. Because and you know, now frank, we can yeah. now we can take that one off the table at least as far as their objections, mm-hmm. uh, and move on to other objections. All right. We have been speaking with Bo Shufi, is the executive director of DC
0: Vote. It is uh, the organization which is pushing for DC statehood, and they were able to uh, achieve a milestone hearing this past week in Washington D.C. on the possibility of adding Washington D.C. as the fifty-first state. Bo, we appreciate you uh, spending some time. Uh, Thanks very much explain for explaining all us. this uh, fully. It's uh, it's a fascinating, both uh, in, in practicality of the argument that's going on right now, and all of the other political theories that yep. are attached to both supporters and, uh, and and opponents of this. So it was a fascinating discussion and we thank you. Thanks very much. And well, we thank you as well for joining us here on the On the Hill podcast from the studios of Washington, D.C. This has been On the Hill. I'm Tom Fitzgerald. We'll see you back here next time.
1: Ven a JCPenney y termina tus compras navideñas con brillantes descuentos, como
0: hasta 70% en joyería después del cupón. Además, tenemos velas, mantas suavecitas y más desde $7,99. Y miles de doorbusters en marcas como Adidas, Champion, Disney y Carters. Recoge tu pedido el mismo día. Es rápido y gratis. Estará listo en dos horas o menos, hasta las 3 p.m. en Nochebuena. JCPenney, celebraciones que valen la pena. Ofertas válidas hasta el 24 de diciembre en selección de estilos. Aplican exclusiones. Doorbusters se excluyen de los cupones. Detáis en la tienda jcp.com.